Hello and welcome to Sheffield Board Gamers podcast. Uh, this is episode 35. My name is Rick and I'm joined today by Tom Cauldron. Hello, Tom. Hello, Rick. Hello. And I'm joined by Tom Lovewell as well. Hello, Tom. Hi. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm good. How are you two? Uh, doing well, I hope. Yeah. Uh, and once again, we're going to have the conversation, uh, the confusion about uh, which Tom you're referring to. When you y- yeah. We <laughs> <laughs> really shouldn't do this. <laughs> and see. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Gorgeous Tom and slightly gorgeous Tom. <laughs> decide, look at our faces through the medium of podcast and decide who's who. And if you haven't seen them in real life, it's true, they are both gorgeous. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you Rick. Let's check from the post. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a podcast about board games. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of the games that we've played recently. Um, we're going to have a chat about the club itself and why would you want, why would you want to come to a club? Before that, we've got a bit of news and a couple of bits to talk about as well. So the first thing uh, I want to talk about is uh, I've got one word for you guys, which is Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Or, or is that two words? I'm not sure. It's one word, but it's also a sentence. Yes, okay. Kickstarter, uh, Foundations of Rome. So this yeah, was a few years ago. They had the initial printing of this, and uh, it's not coming to retail. It's a big box full of plastic pieces. It's a fairly straightforward hour-long game I think but because of the size of the production and the size of the box and everything it's just not feasible to have it sort of sat on a sat on a store shelf uh, so there was a Kickstarter a couple of years ago that got fulfilled and it's had some good reviews since then uh, since then uh, a new version has come on Kickstarter and it's available it's just finished I think and I'm one of the suckers that's backed the second edition of it the second printing of it so it's um to pledge Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very expensive. So us other suckers could still jump <laughs> on the bandwagon. Yeah, it's very expensive. Uh, you get a big box with loads of stuff in, expansions, metal coins, big plastic buildings, uh, sun, sun drop. Uh, the kind of you know they do the uh, they don't, they're not actually painted buildings, but they kind of uh, got a wash on them, so they they look really nice. Sam, I was speaking to one of the club members, Sam, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he actually played the game at uh, another meeting uh, and said it was he really enjoyed it and it's probably something that I would like, so he kind of recommended it. So I, I took the plunge. But if, if you are worried about the price, then just play someone else's copy. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty of willing people to uh, to get out and play it when uh, when it's actually arrived. So it's uh, yeah, it's really expensive. It's well over two hundred pounds, I think, plus. Uh, extra for the sun drop and extra for the expansions and stuff like that. Uh, the thing says here, new backers, $200. Yeah, but plus the postage and packing. Uh, oh, there's more for... Oh, yeah, so you're looking about £300 all in for everything. Oh. It's uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> right. it, it's, it's very gorgeous looking ridiculous. It please. looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to... Uh, to get in and try it out and the, the good thing is as well that they've said that um, they've done a printing already obviously and they've produced the game once already so they've got a couple of like minor tweaks to it but the everything's in place to do another production run so all the moulds are ready for the plastic you know all the stuff all the artwork's done the, the rules are done you know it's just a case of how many copies do you want so in theory it should be a fairly, fairly quick turnaround how many copies do you want Rick? So how many do you want, Rick? Or is it just sort of a few <laughs> on black market, the others for tidy profit? <laughs> I think you probably could, yeah. I, I've, I've, I can only afford one at the moment. But, uh, yeah, no doubt there'll be a few on eBay going for ridiculous prices, uh, as, well, as, as these things do. Yeah, it, it is looking humongous. Yeah, yeah. Ter- I, I, it, it, just the pull-out trays with all the plastic in there. Now, ad- admittedly, I think... You might get in trouble with my wife for showing me some very tasty-looking plastic um, <laughs> with, with, you know, um, uh, cost-of-living crisis going on, and I'm going, ooh, yeah, this is tasty. Yeah. So it's a good job you're a good distance away from my wife. Well, somebody speaking <laughs> Kickstarter, I do worry that it's uh, a bit style over substance, like they put all their effort into the, the look of it and things. But I see that this is actually designed yeah, by yeah. Uh, someone with proper game-designing chops. It's Emerson Matsuchi, who did... Uh, Century Spice Road and Spectre Ops and Reef. Yeah, and yeah. As well, they, they tend to be sort of a good board game, and so if it's got nice stuff, well, that's an extra. As there are other games where you go, you can do miniatures, not always quite so sure about the rules. Yeah, that always worries me, worries me a little bit with the Kickstarters. 
you know, is it going to be a, a, a decent game when it actually comes out? So I'm glad that they've done a second printing of this. It's, it's obviously been sent out to people, people are playing it, people are reviewing it, it's getting good reviews. And uh, even though it's not the most complicated game, it's not like the most in-depth or complicated or long game, it's uh, it's one that I probably enjoy. So, yeah, anyway, so that's uh, that's that one. Uh, what about you guys? Have you been you been up so much? I've not backed anything new recently, but I have had an email say that um, Arcosa by Toonhammer has finished its printing, so that will be winging its way towards me by the end of the year. That's the mm. only Kickstarter thing. I've been mm. good for a little bit. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. I've tried not to back much uh, Kickstarter wise. It's a dangerous thing to get into. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know. Kickstarter is your friend, your wallet's enemy, admittedly, <laughs> but your friend. Yes, too many good games out there. That's the problem. Uh, what other what other news have you got, Tom? Uh, well, I mean, as we're recording this now, I suppose there's a a little bit of board game news, board game related news. Um, there's mm-hmm. an event going on uh, in Finchley in London, which is uh, the Mind Sports Olympiad. I mean, this is mm-hmm. people sort of getting together for a week and being very, very clever, and the cleverest wins. Uh, but in, including in the cleverness <laughs> is various board games. I mean, they've got lots of different uh, sort of mind sports events, uh, mm. like mm-hmm. uh, me- various types of memory, like uh, memorise this sequence of binary digits and uh, how many pack of playing cards can you memorise and they've got speed reading and read a novel in three, three hours and then answer some questions to see whether you actually understood it um, <laughs> I mean yeah I could read a novel in three hours and get anything I've learned speed reading and read, read War and Peace in, in, in a week it was about some Russians um, yeah <laughs> uh, one about someone who kept on bumping into things he was blue and he had bandages. That's the closest yes. I get to speed reading in three hours. That's it, yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, among all these other um, brainy things, there's, uh, a lot of the events are actual board games that we play uh, every week. Like there's a, uh-huh. a competition on um, uh, Terra Mystica and Lost Cities and uh, Catan and Azul. So somebody there is a champion of Azul. Uh-huh. Um Right. There's also Battleship. Yes, and Battleship. Yeah. And Monopoly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, now, now I don't... I, I suppose, actually, yeah. they, they, they've gone for a double session for Monopoly, so they'll probably get one game. They're playing that right now, in fact, Monopoly. Someone in Finchley is <laughs> very, very uh, intently staring at the Monopoly board. Um, there's various different types of chess as well, uh, including diving chess, where you've, the chess board is on the bottom of a pool. You've got to hold your breath while you're making them. <laughs> uh, is it the, the deep end or the shallow end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Goes along. <laughs> it gets further down. <laughs> Deeper. Yeah, yeah. the more pieces you lose, the closer to the yeah. deep end. Uh, and there's actual uh, prizes for these as well. So if you think you're really good at Agricola, uh-huh. then maybe you might be in with a chance of winning £80. I know. Uh-huh. I don't think anyone's going to sort of retire on it, but you know, it's, it's not exactly poker stakes, is it? It's not no. the. Uh, no. Yeah. Oh, poker's another <laughs> another event. Oh, is it? As well. yeah. <laughs> Friendly enough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. Actually, yeah, it sounds uh, quite competitive. though sounds like it's a. Uh... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure if I um, like the sound of competing. Uh, actually, it mattering whether you win or lose at a game. I, I, I just like mm. to, to turn up and just just play. And obviously, I tried yeah. to win, but because obviously, what's the point of doing it? But you know, I don't. I, uh, five minutes later, I don't actually remember whether I won or not. You know, that's not, <laughs> that's not the point. Really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get where you're coming from. It. I, I always of the opinion that you play to enjoy the game, but when you're playing, you you, you try, you try to, to win. But yeah. mm. it's the enjoyment of playing against people that's more important than the win. Yeah. Obviously, uh, uh, people are. Uh, different and some people it, it really sort of adds a bit of spice to it to compete against other people and, and make yourself against them. Mm-hmm. It's just the display that matters really. I quite like the sound of the um, Creative Thinking World Championship that they've got there, which is the, that's a very different sort of thing, very subjective. 
yeah, come up with uh, some clever clever answers to a question and someone picks the best one. Yeah. Okay, that, sounds, that definitely sounds interesting. Yeah, well, but if any, anyone listening here is uh, is interested in uh, making themselves against the best in the world, or you know the best you can turn up at Finchley, then uh, <laughs> maybe look at next year's Minesports Yeah, uh, well, there's Tabletop Scotland that's literally going to be taking place oh, yes. tomorrow. Um, and Sunday, which I've been to the previous two, and they were awesome. Um, unfortunately, I can't make it this year, but um, that's it's about to happen. Um, it's not close to Sheffield, but it's even further from Gloucester. <laughs> However, slightly closer to home to both Sheffield and Gloucester, um, there's Tabletop Gaming Live on the 16th and 17th of um, mm. September. Or it could be 17th. No, it's 17th and 18th. Sorry, I'm getting my numbers mixed up 17th and 18th of September in Manchester um, so I'll be heading along oh, yes. to that, so that are you um, heading along just to the punter or are you, uh, are you exhibiting there I'm heading along with a stand um, so, um, I, I will be exhibiting there I, I booked in back when it was going to be happening in Man- in London in 2020 oh, yes. and, and something happened in 2020 hmm. which meant that it didn't <laughs> go ahead and it was postponed and it still was postponed for last year so this is several years in the mm-hmm. coming. So yeah, I, I booked to go in 2019, and so just carried on my booking, if that makes sense. So where, whereabouts is it, that one? So I think it's the O2 Victoria Warehouse near right. to um, uh, Manchester United's ground in Old Trafford. Yeah. So, um, uh, okay. Transport links. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if you're in Manchester... There is a, a slight issue with that, in that they're, they have picked a weekend where Manchester United are playing at home, um, against Leeds, you know. <laughs> they picked a weekend, and then Manchester <laughs> yeah. United ended up being playing at home. Yes, that's going to be particularly interesting because they've delayed the finish from four o'clock to four yeah. thirty because Man U are playing at home. So yeah, it's going to be a rather interesting. It's now finished, and then I've got to go and find my car. Um, hope that whichever fans are around haven't done anything interesting and then get it to their tear down and get back to Gloucester mm. so but um, that's a few weeks away I don't have to worry about it I'll worry about <laughs> anyway, it I hope it goes well it's, uh, it's nice to have uh, another event um, north. well that's what I thought um, it's the bods at Fanboy 3 who are lovely I've been there a few times they're involved in running involved in the show and I think they're doing some pre-show gaming as well so um you know, I'm hopeful for it to be a good weekend because there are some people who I really respect mm. that's involved in organising mm. it. So I think it should be great. Yeah. So we've uh, we've played a lot of games. <laughs> we played loads of games over the past month since the last podcast. Uh, one that I played recently is a game called Space Base. Uh, I think Samuel's spoken about this before on the podcast, but um, just in case you need a bit of a refresher, it's uh, a kind of engine building game uh, from 2018 plays between two and five players, takes about an hour, and the designer is John D. Clare, published by AEG. And it's kind of a game where you've got a, a mat in front of you with different slots, like 12 different spaceship slots, and you roll two dice, and you use the dice to activate a slot, but then also everybody else gets to activate one of their slots as well. So uh, you roll two D6s, just normal uh, six-sided dice, and you can either combine them together to activate that slot so you might add the six and the four to activate a ten slot and that'll give you some resources or a bonus or points or whatever you might have in that particular slot or you can uh, use them individually you can activate a six and a four slot so uh, the cards actually get better there's like a central market of cards that you can uh, purchase and when you buy one it it goes into your slot uh, for that number it's designated to and that improves it and it gets you more resources uh, so you kind of build up and build up, getting more and more points. The pers- first person to f- 40 points, I think it is, wins a game. Or it might, might be 50. It's 40. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it, it's, a, it's one of those games a bit like Machikuro or Farm Shop, if you played that one, where um, the active player will roll the dice and act, decide what, what cards he wants to activate and wants to, what he wants to get out of it. But then all the other players are going are gonna to get something as well. So it's not one way you're going to be sat, sort of sat waiting for your turn. Either on, even on other people's turns, you're going to uh, get get some income or some resources or whatever, whatever it is. Um, I quite liked how there's a couple of different strategies that you can go down. You can go for the money, get increase your income, which gets you like extra 
coins at the start of your turn and uh, build it up or you can go for the points straight away uh, where you put them on the slots matters as well so obviously you're going to be rolling seven and eights and things like that more often than you are the threes and the fours and the elevens the more difficult cards uh, uh, have higher or lower numbers so they're less likely to roll but you get more stuff out of it so you could have like a big massive explosive turn where you roll you know exactly what you wanted and it activates that slot and you get loads of stuff but then obviously on other rolls you'll not get as much stuff or do you spread your spread your cards out so you get a bit of everything you know on each turn but you probably not get as much so it's quite interesting the way that it works uh, it doesn't last too long like i said take I think we played a four-play game. Took us about an hour, and yeah, really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a good game. Yeah, I've, I've played this as well. It's a, it's a. I think um, Machikoro was. A, I'm not sure if it was the first, but it's the first one I saw uh, that did this sort of dice rolling mm. thing. Um, you get a tableau of stuff in front of you and activate them using whatever you've rolled on the dice, and other people get the same. Yeah, but I think this sort of improves on Machikoro a bit because Machikoro sometimes you got a few things in front of you, you roll dice and go, oh, doesn't match anything on. Not get anything, um, but this one you mm. start off with at least something in every slot, so which is mm. which I think is a is a plus. And there's lots of different cards you can get as well as the ones that give you bonuses, the ones that sort of allow you to sort of uh, change dice rolls and um, move up and things. You know, instead of getting the ten, you get the eleven, and things like that, and activate this one and then I want yeah. to do it. So there's lots of things you can build in, like that, yeah. sort of build an engine. And I think it, it works very nicely. There's a couple of different ways to win as well. well one of the negatives is probably that uh, it's still down to the dice roll. You can kind of mitigate mm-hmm. it to some extent. Uh, but there are going to be occasions where you you know, you know just don't roll what you want. So I, I was looking at our game. I, I had a lot of stuff on the number eight, and that kept getting rolled. But we didn't roll many sevens. So if I'd have put those cards on the seven instead, I wouldn't have got as much stuff. Yeah. I just was lucky that... Um, you know, you get what you roll, but there, there are ways around that. Like you said, there's different um, cards that have different sort of abilities and things that let you uh, mitigate the rolls a little bit. And you, and that that choice as well of whether it's whether you pick both the dice added together or if you take them separately, that's quite interesting as well. I think it's a sort of a nice balance for me. It's that you can you, there's room to be clever, but if you lose, you can blame the dice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can imagine that element. It does make those lower numbers quite powerful because you know that probably um, that the three, the four, the seven, or even realistically five, six, seven are going to be particularly yeah. powerful because actually you're going to get seven more frequently yeah. if you're adding them together. But the fives and the sixes, you know, six in particular, actually you can either naturally roll it or you've got a good probability of it on a double. So I can kind of see the smart elements in that. Yeah, yeah. There's three decks of cards, uh, and the cards come off these decks in, uh, in into the central market, and they kind of yeah, the lower numbers aren't quite as powerful as the higher numbers. So yeah, you're right. You are going you are going to activate the lower numbers a lot more often, but you don't get so much stuff out of it. Whereas the the higher numbers, you get a lot more, you know, like a lot more resources when you activate them. So yeah, it's quite clever in that way. Yeah, yeah. And that and that choice of you know which way you're going to go, what. Is one of the main sort of things about getting your engine going and getting those resources sort of built up so you can buy better cards later on and the more expensive cards and then start buying points and things like that. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and there's a couple of expansions out for it as well, I think. Uh, we didn't play that, we just played the base game, but yeah, lots of variability there. And uh, it's one that will probably, yeah, go back to it at some point. Yeah, I really well. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's Space Base. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, so what what you guys been playing? Have you uh, played any good games recently? Uh, recently picked up a game called Royal Visit, which is a a game by Rainer Knizia. He's designed, obviously, a lot of games. <laughs> this is uh, one of his smaller ones that can be played hmm. in like uh, half an hour or so. Oh, it can be a lot quicker if <laughs> in the first few games we had some uh, fairly suddenly. This is a two-player only game. And I don't know if he was trying to design something which is sort of one-dimensional chess. I don't know because it's just moving along a line, but you've got different um, different pieces that move, that activate in different ways and do different things. The theme of it uh, is that there's a king uh, visiting the area. You have both got castles that you want him to visit because it would bring a lot of honour to your family. 
So you're trying to persuade the king into your castle. And there's two ends of the board, and you've got sort of tug of war, and you're sort of moving the king backwards and upwards. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. There's five uh, wooden pieces that move along here. The king is one of them. There's also two guards, which are one on either side of the king. The king always has to be between the two guards. It can never move past a guard. Mm-hmm. And the guards have, uh, can never move past the king. Um, so if you want to move the king, first you've got to move a guard to make room for the king to move. And so on. Move a guard. Yeah. And the other two pieces are a wizard and a jester. And these are have sort of got their own powers. So the wizard, you can move it uh, along. Oh, every character you move using cards. You draw up a hand of cards, and some of them will be cards that you can move guards with, some of them will be cards you can move the king with, some of them will be cards you can move the wizard with. Hmm. Um, so if you want to move the wizard, you just play some wizard cards and move it. Long, uh, as far as it goes, as long as mm-hmm. you've got like one, two, and three cards for the wizard. But the wizard also has a power of it can just summon one of the guards or the king to its space, as long as you're not breaking any rules of the guard or the king having to be between two, two guards. Mm. Uh, the jester also has a superpower. Uh, it's got jester cards, which are one, two, three, four, and five, which are quite big, and uh, just move to the middle one. And if the jester happens to be on closer to you than the king is, then you can use those jester cards to move anything. So the king normally only moves one space, but suddenly if, it, if you've got the jester moving it, it can move, it can zoom across the board. <laughs> so all these uh, moves are quite dramatic. You're trying to get the king to your side, but any character in your, in your two spaces at your end get you to move the little uh, crown marker towards you, and if that ever gets to you, then you win. Uh, if you ever move the king into your castle, then you win. And if you get, if neither of those happen by the end of the game, then if you've got the king close to you, then you win. Okay, so, yep. but there's dramatic shifts just because um, I've got five wizard cards in my hand. So suddenly the wizard was o- right over at your end, but now it's over at my end. And then the next <laughs> turn I just teleport a guard to me, and the next turn I use a jester to move the king ten ten spaces. Hmm. It can suddenly change quite dramatically but I mean with it being a tug of war it's a lot of to and fro hmm. um, but yeah it's it's a it's a sort of plays weirdly it, it feels like crazy things are happening but then you sort of get stuck in that um, like, uh, she's got two characters in her thing and that coin just keeps on moving towards her <laughs> her end and I just uh, I just do one thing to try and pull one out and then she just undoes it and it kind of moves another two spaces towards her and yeah sometimes you could just get games that finish in five minutes and sometimes you get, get games that sort of really um, backwards and forward and go on for like 20 minutes mm-hmm. but it's a uh... do you feel then Tom that the randomness of the cards you're more reactive because of the cards you've dropped and you, you, you've got? Or is there enough tactics and playing of, actually, I'm going to hold on to these for a, a little bit. Term. I mean, there's, there's a bit of hand management and building up a lot of cards of one kind means you can have a bigger turn because if you play a guard card, then you can play another guard card and another guard card on the same turn. But there's, I n- need to move that wizard now. Uh, so I don't want to wait until I've got lots of wizard cards. Things like that. So there's a bit of uh, balance there and there's... Uh, if I do this, then I can do that, then I can do that. There's a little bit of planning ahead in a sort of strategy kind of way, but mm-hmm. it kind of depends on having the right cards to do it. It's 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 an interesting little thing. It feels sort of thinky, but then you've got a lot of luck depending on what you can do depending on what cards you draw. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's a... It fits a nice little space of being a, a not-too-heavy thinky game, but you've got a, a nice little battle. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for a good two-player game. So yeah, that's a yeah. good uh, that's a good one. That uh, can... is it. Is it coming in the little small kind of boxes? Yeah, it's is it like a smallish game. Boxes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, quite mm. uh, it's actually a re-theme, I think. Apparently, uh, the original theme was uh, uh, Times Square, where you were both nightclub owners trying to attract some person into your nightclub <laughs> using various people. Right. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound quite uh, so good, actually. Instead of a with a name, Jesse, you've got like 
handsome Hal and saucy Sal. Saucy <laughs> yeah. Not sounding good. <laughs> it's a very different game, I think, just from King and the Fiend. But yeah, it works very nicely. Mm. I, I can imagine that some people would um, just not take to it, though, because you're trying to do clever, strategic, abstract strategy type of things, but then the, the cards just stop you doing what you want to do. So mm. I think um, if, you, if you like uh, perfect information abstract strategy games, you would hate this one. But it mm. sort of feels a little bit like this, you're doing the same sort of things that you're doing in those, if you see what I mean. <laughs> but anyway, yes, it's a, it's a it's an interesting, it's a fun little game, I think. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah, yeah. And pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly looked pretty as well, having mm. pictures. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like the yeah, uh, the pieces. Yeah, yeah, lovely pieces. Yeah, and the uh, uh, I quite like the artwork on the uh, on all the cards. Mm. Very colourful. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, one of the games that I've played since I last spoke to you, um, good folk, is um, at Saboteur. I actually first played this at um, UK Games Expo. Someone brought it along, and um, I thought this is fantastic. And I bought a copy for the games club at school and since uh, and in the last sort of uh, month of term um, actually played it with the games club but also um, in the last couple of days of term with some of the classes because we've got reduced numbers etc and so um, it was not even the games club and it's gone down really well so the game itself um, it's a hidden information where um, you could all be dwarves that are going for gold for the small numbers, but with larger numbers, there will be some people that are, I think, gnomes rather than dwarves or um, very similar things, but they were, um, are trying to sabotage things. Um, and the aim is the dwarves are trying to get the gold and the gnomes are trying to either stop the dwarves getting the gold or get the dwarves to get the coal. Um, and it's um, just a deck of cards. So it's really small. Um, you start off by placing the opening card face up, and then I think, and there is a setup, but about seven cards away and a certain distance apart, you've got three end objectives, one of which is the gold, but it's face down, and the other two are coal and also face down. Mm. And each player has a hand of cards, and each round you've got to either play a card or discard a card. And, it, and so in that respect, it's fairly simple. But... Um, and you randomly decided from cards whether you are the gold-getting dwarves or the um, the saboteurs, the gnomes. And your cards are either playing tunnel card to connect the tunnels to one of your end objectives or one of the many different action cards. Some of the action cards are to damage equipment. So the three pieces of critical mining equipment are the lantern, the minecart, and the pick. So if one of those are damaged, you can't play any tunneling card until someone or yourself plays a fixed aforementioned item on you. Um, and then the other action card is have a look at one of the end objectives. So as you're playing, you're trying to work out who's what um, in terms of if you're the saboteur trying to keep your identity as secret as possible unless you can work out someone else who is and work together if you're a dwarf again trying to get to the end objective work out who's the saboteur but also not look like a saboteur if the cards you've got mm. are rubbish and that's <laughs> the real difficult point because sometimes when we've been playing people have gone but i've got a rubbish card you know trying to work out how to play rubbish cards and not look like a saboteur and so this is where it's been great with the kids is they've played it once and kind of gone I'm not sure what I'm doing during the first play, picked it up after the first round and then gone now we understand and so it's really nice to see them picking up the principles of hiding that information looking at the social cues yeah, yeah. from other people um, and, and it's that quick to learn that you've really got a handle of it after one round so you're teaching all these kids to lie yeah <laughs> Deduction. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, bluffing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm teaching them to lie, not to cheat. Yeah, <laughs> critical. No, um, it, it's really quite um, interesting the way that it plays, and because it's so small, and I think yeah. I spent less than ten pounds to pick the deck up. It, it's 
it's kind of one of those great games that you can just chuck in your bag, whatever size your bag is, even if you're going to a big swanky ball and you've got one of those tiny little clutch purses, it will fit into there. Not that you'd necessarily want to do it, but... I quite like this game, yeah, it's, it's good, but the first time I played it, um, you, you're right, it takes a round or two to, to get the kind of the strategy and what you're doing. When I first played it, it was kind of going through the rules and people say, I thought it was a bit take that, where people can play a card and just break your pickaxe and then you can't do very much, but it's not as bad as it sounds because like the people who are on your team... If they if they think you're on their team, you know they'll they'll fix the pickaxe for you. They'll yeah. play the cards to fix it. And and similarly, if somebody looks at the uh, the cards at the end of the you know the cards that you're trying to reach, which are gold or yeah, coal, coal or rocks or whatever they are, the end objectives. If if it's a saboteur, they're probably going to lie about it. If if it's a real you know if it's a dwarf who's trying to get to the gold they'll probably be telling the truth or so there's a bit of you know somebody will look at the cards and say that one there's definitely gold and you look at them and you think is it really <laughs> or is it not <laughs> it's really good fun yeah and it, and it's that difficulty when you're the first person and you don't know sometimes there's some I've had people where they've looked at it and go yeah I know what it is and they go but tell us it's like no no I'm yeah, not yeah. tell you yet until someone else has. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't have to tell people you can keep it to yourself, can't you? And, uh, and, and then you get yeah. to have those mind games. Mm. Yeah. yeah, this is a game that's really easy to just uh, pick up and play, isn't it? Mm. You don't really have to think about it. Thinking about your turn too hard is, is a waste of time because, you know, stuff happens. You don't mm. really have that much control. I mean, this is a game that I've played quite a lot, despite not actually liking it a huge amount. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just easy to... It's just, yeah, you don't have to put anything into it. But it's just... Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I liked about it. It, It's set up, it's quite okay. quick, and it, and it's the great kind of thing to just go, right, there's a bunch of us, we've all finished our long-winded game at the end of a club night, and you can just play something like this. I think Citadels is another one. You know, there's a few of those games where which fit that nice half an hour mm-hmm. if you've got sort of two or three tables of three, four or five people you can just grab a bunch together and go, we'll play this, and it will cover whoever's yeah. there. Mm. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've played it as much as you, Tom, but I've only played it a few times, but yeah, I've enjoyed it when I've played it, and uh, it's another one that doesn't last too long. It's like half an hour, 40 minutes at tops, probably. I've, I've only played it myself a few times, but because I've had to run it a number of times, as I, I kind yeah. of the staff member teaching half a dozen or so kids... I've kind of watched a number of games, more almost, almost as many games I've watched as I've played. What else have you been playing? I've got uh, another fairly new game. I've had it a few weeks this one, so I've got a few games. This is uh, Acropolis. This is uh, actually only just been recently been released this year, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's quite a new one, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be yeah. interesting to hear about this one. Yeah. Yeah, and this is um, this is a game that a lot of people are, are really liking. I think this is one of those games where you just go, oh yeah, that's really neat. Because it just does a lot of things that other games have done, but everything's just sort of really neat. Mm. You know, everything just works together really nicely. And it's uh, it's a game where you're putting down uh, these little tiles, which are sort of like... Was it, how do you spell Three hexagons stuck together or something each time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cross between um, Tetris and Catan, almost. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you, these tiles have got various different things on them. Uh, so you might have, have a tile where one of the hexagons is a, is a blue area, another area, another one's a yellow marked area, and one's a, another blue area. So you're fitting these all together in a grid, and you're trying to. Uh, fit them together in a optimal way to score lots of points, um, and that's something that a lot of games do. The tiles can go on top of each other to score more points, just like in Number Nine. So you know that's another thing that another thing's done. Um, the various different regions score in different ways. So the the blue um, areas are they've got different names. Like the yellows are market and the reds are barracks or something but anyway they're scoring different ways the yellows you want to have all separate they want to not be next to another yellow area the, the red ones you're supposed to have you, they only score if they're on the edge the blue ones they, it's only the biggest group of them all together to score 
the purple ones only score if they're completely surrounded by other tiles, and the green ones score wherever. Hmm. But they only score by having a separate scoring tiles. So, for example, the green ones, every green area I'm putting in counts for towards the green score. If any green area, any, any green hexagon is one green area, any green hexagon on the second level is two green areas, on the third level is uh, three green areas. So if you, you yeah. can sort of pile tiles on top of other tiles. Mm. Uh, but you're multiplying whatever that is by the number of green stars that you've got which are also on these uh, hexagon tiles. So you might have six green areas, but no green stars, and your score is zero. Uh, oh, a bit like King, King Domino. Yeah. Like, yeah. like in King Domino, yes. You yeah. might have a massive area of uh, desert in King Domino, but if you've not got any any uh, uh, stars in there... Yeah. Stars in King Domino? Uh, crowns. Crowns. Crowns, there, yeah. Then, uh, then it's so yeah, it's mm-hmm. taking something from King Domino, something from... Mm-hmm. Um, number nine, all these things that you've seen in other games, but it's all put together in a sort of really nice, neat package that plays really smoothly and quickly, and you've got a nice little 20-30 minutes of uh, thinking and agonising about, uh, oh, I really need that green, those green stars, I hope they don't take it, oh, they're taking it. <laughs> um, and, you know, for shaking your fist at each other, <laughs> and there's potential for doing clever things like, oh, I, I could put this on the second level. <laughs> I mean, it would yeah. it would break my cathedral uh, scoring or temple or whatever they are. As a quick uh, question, but, you know, Tom. Yeah. With the tile laying, is there any rules as to where you can and can't lay tiles? Other than I'm assuming you've got to lay it on a flat level. So level two has to be all on a level one. Uh, but yeah. is there any way which dictates? Whereabouts you put them? Have they got to match something, or can it just be anywhere? Uh, no, you put them anywhere. But you know, it, it, it uh, obviously where you put it kind of affects how it's scoring. So yeah, that's the only consideration. Trying to get the best score. You said it was um, the colour of the tiles that dictates how the score. Did you did you find it okay to differentiate them? Was there any? Yeah. The... So I've got um, red green coloured blindness, but. All the tiles were absolutely fine for me. I mean, as well as hmm. having slightly different colours, they've got different types of building on them as well. All right, yeah. Easy to tell. I didn't have any yeah. problem at all. So, oh, good. Uh, yeah. Looks like they've gone for sort of like nice, fairly different sort of styles as well as colours. Um, there are a couple. Of, just having a look at the pictures, there's a couple of things that look like they've got a yellow element to them, but they're a very different style to another thing. So. It does look, you know, well thought of in that respect, and it's by mm. printed by Gigamech, which should know what they're doing by now. They're they're very, yeah, um, well known, and it's a lovely production as well. All the tiles are nice, thick cardboard, and they all uh, slot very neatly into this uh, box, even though it doesn't have any uh, weird plastic form in there. It's just uh, a load of uh, cardboard. It's just right. cardboard boxes, very neat, neatly laid out. Hmm. Um, no plastic in the box at all, I don't think. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it does, it does look good, this one, yeah. I very much recommend this one. It's, I think it's it's one that a lot of people are going to like. Hmm. To bring it along to the club. That sounds good. Hmm. You got one more game, Tom? You want to tell us about? <laughs> so this is one that I, I've got too late, uh, insofar as I only played it for the first time this year, um, and I played it um, played it on Tuesday as well, so it's Viticulture um, by um, Stonemaier Games, um, I think, and I'm just going to, so, um, I think it's Jamie Stegmaier was the mm. um, designer of this one. Now we've been talking uh, about a lot of uh, light, quick games so far there, I mean, you're bringing in this heavy <laughs> Euro thing, <you're laughs> got to keep the gamers happy, haven't you? Bear in mind that we finish the, we, we say light, quick Euro, it's, sorry, he- heavy Euro, but we start, um, finished our first game and took this one out, and we'd actually finished it within an hour and a half. If yeah. people are, you know, it would have been nice if we had a little bit of time, but if you've played it once or twice before and you get a wriggle on, you can get it through in, you know, it says 60 to 150 minutes, and definitely the first time I played it, it was too two and a bit hours long and we've trimmed it down because we're being very keen 
So I would say, yeah, probably it's a two-hour game. But, you know, I've just talked about um, Saboteur that's light and quick and doesn't, you know, so, you know, doesn't take up much money or space. And so we need to go for something different. Um, I've only played, you know, yeah. I've only played the Tuscany edition. Part of that is because people at the club have said, I'm not going to play the basic edition, just the Tuscany version. But apparently the way things are laid out it has made it so much better. So I'm going to be prejudiced. I've only played the most recent Tuscany edition. Um, but I've enjoyed it both times I've played. It's very much build up your engine as you go across. You you start the game and you've got to choose from two, um, a mama and a papa, and that affects your starting options in terms of money and workers and other things. And as you go through the game, um, you um, choose whereabouts you start your order um, each round is decided, um, and that affects where you act. And then you move through the seasons from spring to summer to fall and then winter. And at each season, you can do different things, um, but the spaces available get filled up. So where you go in the round is important in terms of being able to choose things on the board, but also on the benefits you get. So it's really quite interesting the way in which you do build your engine and what's important um, but there are also other cards that you get because critically I've not told you what the game's about. It's about growing grapes, owning a vineyard and making wine and selling wine. No. Like, why tell about the theme until halfway through the description, <laughs> hey? <laughs> it's a, it, it is a euro. <laughs> Just listeners, it's Friday evening and my brain is shot. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so yes, you are a vineyard owner and moving through the season and you are getting more workers um, you could so in two of the different seasons you can host a tour to get um, some money in um, you can get the cards the green cards are your different types of grapes um, so you can plant grape vines um, you buy structures and they give you different types of powers so some of them increase your amount your cellar so the amount and the quality of wine you can um, generate others, enable you to plant um, special types of wine, uh, of grape, sorry. Um, other um, buildings give you card bonuses, other buildings give you um, a points bonus if you do certain things. So it's trying to get that balance of buildings at the right time, vines at the right time, but also the different visitors that turn up. Some of them can really help you if you get them at the right time. Others can be useful for the late game, but if you get them early on and when you've got a hand limit of seven, can be a right pain in the neck. So it's hmm. always trying to get that balance. Um, but I've enjoyed it the times I've played it. Um, yeah, I've played this a couple of times. Uh, I think I've uh, only played the Tuscany of it, yeah. just like you have. So I think it's the. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> but yeah, I've enjoyed it both times. Yeah, played. I've played it with. So it's just the three of us. So, so, no, I've played it with um, five or six people, and um, there was just four people the other day. And I think on BGG it says best with four people. I'll have to disagree. I'd say that because it opens several more parts up for five and six, I would say four, five, and six work because you have got extra slots where you can put workers. So um, it, five is probably the element where you've got those extra slots, but you can't and therefore you're not limited. Um, so four and six would probably be the best numbers because you've got a number of slots and they're restricted if people are trying to do the same thing in the same season. Um, and similarly, when you've got those extra slots for each thing, for six player, five and six players, when you get to six, again, you're still hampered a little bit. I, would, I, um, I, I found that, but having played a couple of times, there are definitely different strategies and the second time playing, I went, ah, now I know a bit what I'm doing. I chose something and realised that it absolutely sucked as a strategy, and so I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> but there are those little bits that, even though it's the same game, because you've got those different mamas and papas and can change, and as the game goes, you've got to adapt. I think it's got quite a lot of replayability as well. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a Stonemaier game, so it, it's like all their games. It's, it looks really pretty, nice production, yeah. nice artwork, everything like that. It looks really good as well. Yeah, it, it it's one of those games where you can just go, I can rely on it. Yeah, it's got yeah. that badge of, I know the company, it's going to be solid. They don't release trash ever. Mm. Yeah, so it's a it's a bit of an older game now, isn't it? It's been out for a few years, but it, it's a good sign that people are still still playing it to this day, even though it's you know a few years old. Yeah, I think Tuscany Edition came out in 2016, and so the original versions are older than that. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh, some of the games that we've been playing recently. Uh, we're moving on now to question of the week, uh, and question of the week this month is: Why would you come to a club? to a board games club so uh, I thought about this question because we're kind of in a, a golden age of board gaming at the moment as is quoted sometimes um, more and more people are wanting to play board games more and more people are wanting to play D&D and you know the games workshop games the war, the war games and TCGs and things like that so why would you come to a club rather than uh, sitting at home and playing it on your computer you can play a lot of games online now board game arena, tabletopia, things like that a lot of them have their own apps as well that you can play on. So one one of the things I thought of is the kind of social aspect of sort of getting out of the house and meeting people and meeting your friends, you know, like-minded people and things like that. It's a bit a big difference, I think, between playing playing a game online and playing, you know, in person with real people. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, also ha- having moved house in the last couple of years, having gone from Sheffield, where obviously I was at the Sheffield Club. And moving to Gloucestershire, it's nice to join another club because you make you, you know, it introduces you to people. Yeah. You find people of a similar interest that you can discuss things with, um, and you know, after a few weeks, be a- able to sort of grump about their certain um, positive traits and negative traits and whatever. <laughs> but you know, for me, with a young family, with there's a games day being held by the um, Gloucestershire gaming club that I go to um, in Tuffley and there's a bit in the morning with kids so there's a couple of bods who are saying yeah we're bringing our kids so I'm going to take my son along and so it's also good for kids to meet up with others as well. Yeah yeah um, I think the good thing as well is that there are a lot of clubs uh, about now most sort of major cities have a club or two in them um, sometimes supported by a shop as well so no doubt there are you know places out of the way that don't have um, clubs nearby and stuff but I found that there are sort of more and more clubs of you know amateurs popping up uh, playing games and on a regular basis, uh, having that regular time slot as well to play games. So you know that on a Tuesday night or on a Thursday night or on a Saturday, you know whenever the scheduled events are yeah. uh, at this time, people are going to be playing board games in this place. So it, you know having that constant thing and having it on a regular basis, I think that helps as well to uh, to, to kind of organise and get people to play to play the games uh, if, you, if you're kind of playing with your friends or family they might not like the kind of games that you like or you know they might uh, it might it might be difficult yeah. time wise to get people in the same place to play the se- a game for a couple of hours or three hours or however long it takes going to a club you get just a wide variety mm. of different things I mean yeah if you're, if you're just playing with the same uh, group every every time then you just play a certain type of games that everyone in that group like but if you if you really want to play uh, a quick, simple card game and none of your group likes it, then you can just go to a club and look at mm. someone who wants to play that. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that might be different with different groups. Um, our local Sheffield board games club, there's always a bit of everything going on. Like I said, last uh, second we had uh, Saboteur in one corner and Viticulture in another corner. So, you know, it's... <laughs> um, well, I'd agree as well. Yeah, I've been curating the games I have at home for the people you know that I can play with my family but by having gone to um, the club I've been able to play games like Viticulture we've just talked about um, and Root and a variety of other things that are a little bit crunchier a little bit longer that um, a nine-year-old won't stay focused with and my wife um, Emily doesn't always like those heavier games so I can get my heavy getting fix of cardboard. So she knows, right, on a Tuesday, Tom's going to disappear off, get his fix of cardboard crack and <laughs> dice rolls that are abysmal and come home a happy person. Um, and also, I don't have to spend 
£200 on um, a new Kickstarter project um, that will then sit on my shelf because it's too heavy for Emily to play. Or if I do, I know that I'll actually take it off the shelf because I can take it to the club. That's a, that's a good point, yeah, getting the games played. If you've got like a, you know, a new game that you want to play, um, there'll, there'll generally be people wanting to play it with you. Um, and also... I think like having access to older games and newer games without having to actually go out and buy them. Uh, I think Tom, we played um, Shadows yeah. of Camelot. It's, it's way out of print. That it's, it's not been yeah. in print for a while. It's one that I wanted to play for ages. I put a message on the forum, and Tom happened to have a copy. Uh, so we played that, didn't we? And uh, I really enjoyed it. That was a good game. Um, yeah, this is little two sides of the same coin, isn't it? One is you can get games and know that you're able to play it, and the other one is. You don't yeah. have to get games because you know there'll be someone there with games. Yeah, you, I mean it's perfectly possible for people to have a thriving part of the game hobby without having any games themselves and just yeah. go and play other people's. I mean, there's no reason to buy games at all. Um, yeah. uh, podcast, I'll talk about it, but um, Magnate the First City, I backed on Kickstarter and it turned up, and someone at the club had said, I've got it at home, I've not played it yet, but I'd really like to. Can you bring yours in? Mm. Can we play it? And so I brought it in, we played it, and he went, I've enjoyed that, went home and then played it with other people. And so mm. it's to play, you know, to have people to play it with, with that sort of less pressure environment of, I'm not sure, you know, if I take this out and I don't really know how to play and it's with family and if it sucks because I can't explain it mm. or I don't enjoy it, then it might not get played again. So you can sort of play it in an environment where people are forgiving to go, yeah, actually, that's the kind of thing I like. Or also even do a try-before-you-buy kind of, like I did with Saboteur. I played it at UK Games Expo, someone else's version. So that's a bit like going to a club, that respects. It was with a friend. And then went, yes, this is a game that I would like, and it will get played at home, so I will spend the money. Rather mm. than just having to work out from the back of a box or whatever it says on different forums. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think what you said about learning the game and uh, and having a chance to play it as well that's that's quite a good thing because you kind of internalise kind of how it plays and how long it takes. You've seen all the components, so you get a really good feel of like you know if it's going to go down well with other people as well, and or if it's just something you want to play once or twice and then you know not actually go back to it again. That's perfectly fine as well. Uh, one other thing I thought of as well is uh, having a drink or something to eat while you're, you're out and about as well. So a lot of clubs uh, have um, meetings either in pubs or at cafes or things like that where there's food available so you can have a nice craft yeah. beer with your game or if you uh, if you want something to eat, a lot of them do like food, either snacks or you know proper meals or whatever so you can always go and have something to eat and, and a drink as well. Like the tree, the treehouse, have, they have a lot of like craft beers and like really nice locally produced food. Uh, from their kitchens, yeah, their food's really good there. I always enjoy. I always enjoy going there and having a panini or a, you know, something, <laughs> some cake afterwards. They do really nice cakes and things and buns. They're good for that kind of stuff. But some people might like having a beer with a game. Other people might like having a game with a beer. <laughs> Just don't don't spill it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that that's what I liked when I was in Sheffield because I could come to the club and get a tram home. And so it didn't matter. Now where I am, I, I have yeah, to drive yeah. to go to the club. And so there's part of me that thinks, maybe I could have the cider at the start of the evening. But I'm yeah. not so sure about driving back. So I'm, I'm always on the, um, the soft drinks just because it's a drive back. But I know there's plenty of other people that don't need to worry about it. So they can, you know, they do have a beer. I guess that depends on the club and like what the location is. Yeah, if it's fairly central location, then yeah, you're fine. But some of them probably will be out of the way a little bit maybe well it's more the fact that I'm not in a central location yeah, yeah. rather than the club <laughs> it's more to do with the fact that I'm a distance and you know um, there's not sensible traffic for me um, yeah. if I was you know if I was in a situation to Sheffield um, it's a bit like saying well I could come to the club but I actually live indoor so um, that that's kind of how it would have changed so you can come in from door you can quite happily drive into where the club is but there's not really a bus service out there um at half 10 11 at night so yeah. that's the issue and that's the same thing that i've got now i think there's more and more spaces opening up as well where people play games so like the geek retreats are becoming more and more popular uh, like i said last time there was one popped up in uh, barnsley now they're in 
uh, Rotherham, I think there's a few in Leeds, Manchester, big places like that. Uh, but generally, those kind of places you would you would usually go with somebody. Um, I, know, I know they do organise like gaming nights and things like that. But if you wanted to play a particular game, usually you'd you know you'd go with your friends there and play that game. You wouldn't usually just turn up and join in with with whatever's going on there. Same same with the kind of trios to some extent. Um, if somebody sort of sat down playing wanted to play viticulture, for example. Um, you wouldn't sort of go and sit down and join them. That would be a bit weird, unless it's like an open kind of gaming, uh, you know, organ organised gaming uh, session that they've, they've put together, which obviously they do. But I tend to find that those kind of places they have like a night for D and D, a night for, you know, CCGs, a night for war games, and then maybe in the day or something they'll have an hour for board games, or they'll have like a kids club or something like that. That's not really as high a priority. Uh, as the stuff that brings the money in, you know what I mean? The, the, the Games Workshop stuff and the CCGs and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so obviously you can go to those kind of places and play those games, but you're more likely to sort of just turn up at a club and play something. You know, you could play something there. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. All I wanted to say, anything else you guys want to mention about about that? It's just playing games with people is good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> The biggest problem, as with all of these, is it can have a detriment. You know, theoretically, it should be good on your wallet. You go along, you pay a little amount each week mm. um, to, to be part of the club, and there's so many games that other people are bringing, you don't necessarily mm. have to buy a new game. You, so in that respect, in, as I mentioned earlier, cost of living crisis, actually, for a few quid each week, you could be playing games and you could play the new stuff. If you're sweet-willed as me or other people, you go along, you play a game, you think, oh, that's nice, and then um, your local game shop suddenly has sold a new game that you played at the game shop. So yeah. it can be <laughs> more detrimental to your wallet, but it shouldn't be. Yeah, I don't know if this is the same as uh, the, the club that you go to, but generally at the Sheffield one, people will will come with sort of a big bag of games so they're not expecting to get them all played um, they'll have you know a variety of different games there for different player uh, you know player counts and different uh, um, le- lengths of games and things like that is it is it kind of the same thing where you oh, go as well uh, generally I think there's a hue towards generally the crunchier Euros is mm. thing, but also there's sometimes there's quite a bit of overlap for example on Tuesday just gone two people brought along both a version of Terra Mystica and Lost Ruins of Arnak in their bag. <laughs> and so as a case yeah. well, clearly they're popular. Um, <laughs> so there is a bit of overlap. But then, you know, you've got people who are playing that enjoy the same thing. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, it's the fact that there's overlap means that you've found people with similar interests. Um, but the club I also go to, you've got one room that is board games, and then you've got the adjacent room where you've got people playing... Um, Warhammer 40,000, uh, Blood Bowl, um, I think it's Moonstone mm. I've seen being played. So a v- wide variety of miniature games as well. So, mm. um, so yes, you've got quite a lot of people going there because it's a big old space. Mm. So, um, But that's why it's um, Gloucestershire Tabletop Gaming Community yeah, because it covers yeah. both the board games and the tabletop miniatures. Yeah. I would love to expand out our club and kind of bring in some war gamers and CCG players, but it's just a space issue for us. We've got kind of a room upstairs, and it generally gets filled each Tuesday, so I don't think we'd really have space. When I was in Sheffield as well, um, not only did I join you guys, but I was also part of the Sheffield and Rotherham war gamers, mm. who I think are also referred to as the Gimps, um, and that's where I got my sort of miniatures fix. Yeah, my yeah. Flames of War or War Machine. Um, or other things down there, so um, I don't know where they are now. Last time I was there and played with them there at the Farm Road Club, mm. and so that was um, a, you know, it's a, a club, um, quite literally, you know, a, a local club, so you've got to have a, your uh, subscription, no, your membership of the club, kind of, but because it was the games club, mm. you were able to get in that way, and so it had a certain amount of space, but again, it, I don't think there would have been quite enough space to do all the miniatures games yeah. plus board games in the same space. Yeah, I think yeah. uh, different clubs will have a sort of different uh, lean towards the type of, type of gaming. I mean, mm. uh, there's the Crooks and Crosspool gamers as well, and they are sort of the opposite of our Mary Sheffield board games club. Uh, we normally have like 
mainly board and card games and the occasional miniatures game might crop up. The kind of the other way around is mainly miniatures games and the occasional board game mm-hmm. crops up. I think um, some game uh, game clubs will be more miniatures heavy than others. Some game game clubs will have lots of classic games. Some games will have, game clubs will have lots of new games. Well, the miniatures are more becoming plastic nowadays. There, really. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so hopefully um, wherever you are in the country, hopefully there'll be uh, someone nearby that likes to play the same kind of games that you do. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a club there that you can go and meet them. So pop along, say hello. If you're ever in the Sheffield area, come in and say hello to us. We play every Tuesday night. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, play more games. So uh, I want to thank you both for, for joining me. Thanks, Tom Cauldron. Thanks for, for coming on. And Tom Lovell, thank you very much. Thank you for having me as well. We've been the Sheffield Board Gamers. Uh, this is the podcast of the Board Games Club. And we'll thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next time. Goodbye for now. Bye. 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 Bye.